Yeah, well, as always, it's a privilege to be on this platform speaking to you. I get to continue on in this uh, Book of John series that we've been doing uh, pretty much for the whole year. And right now we're in uh, John chapter 13, so you can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to. We're in this uh, mini-series conjunction, if you will, called The King is Coming. You know, all of us have been in some embarrassing or humiliating moments. And I think if I were to ask you today to think of one, you probably could come up with it relatively quickly. Um, thankfully, that's never happened to me because I'm flawless. And I'm already humble, so. And I take pride in my humility. So. <laughs> that joke. And I take pride in my humility. So. <laughs> that joke didn't really land in first service either. <laughs> I should have just... just Anyways, oh goodness. Seriously though, and this is a true story. Uh, one time I was at Martin's and um, I feel like I know my way around that store, obviously. I like to eat. Um, but anyways, I couldn't find something and so uh, I was looking for someone to help me. I looked down the aisle and I see this woman there and you know, I'm like, oh, she can help me. So I walk up, I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, can you please help me? This is what happens. Sir. It was a dude. Seriously. So now I'm like, dude, I know. Yeah, so, yeah, like, do I apologize? Do I like, you know, the dude had some nice hair, let me just say. Um, But like, do I still ask for what I needed? Because now this guy's like triggered. Um, Anyways, that was quite humbling. Or, you know, have you ever seen a woman before? You swear she's pregnant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to finish that one. Um, so, so you've done that too? <laughs> uh, that was humbling. Man, well, Pastor John asked me to preach this week with them being gone. Normally, I, I get excited to preach, and uh, I was excited to preach knowing that I was coming into this part of the book of John, because I've never preached on this passage before. So I was like, cool, I'm going to learn some new things. I'm just going to be honest in telling you, though, after preparing for this message, I don't want to preach it. And I'll tell you why, because I have received so much rebuke and correction and instruction from the Lord these last few weeks. I've been humbled a lot, and I'm just kind of giving you a heads up and saying this now, this is going to be kind of a heavy and intense message, and I'm not saying that so you check out. I just feel like, well, it happened to me. Maybe it'll happen to you too. God's really the only one that can bring conviction like that, but I'm just asking that you still love me when I am done. Please. So John chapter 13, I'll be reading out of the message. If you're there, say, I'm there. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, verse 8, You're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, If I don't wash you, 
you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet, then wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus said, if you had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene, so now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he'd finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. And then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Now, originally today, I had intended on talking to us, uh, uh, talking to us, talking, just having a conversation, really, about holiness. Um, but that is not what I'm talking about. Today, I want to talk about the simplicity of Christ's love, but more specifically, how this humble demonstration of love that we just read about is the way that we are supposed to live our lives, especially today when people are doing a lot more talking than listening. And I have two main points for you today, but before I get to those, I want to draw your attention to a few things relevant to this passage. And the first is that the nature of Christ's actions here, because in verse four, we see Jesus, who we know is creator of the universe. He's the savior of the world. He takes off his outer robe and puts on an apron. It's easy for us to just read this and then move on to the rest of the story. But there's some significance here when you think about the majesty and the authority of Christ and then these acts that follow. Because by removing his robe and putting on an apron, not only did Jesus forego the appearance of Lord and teacher, but he took upon himself the appearance of servant and slave. Jesus could have easily taken off his robe and put on an apron. He could have just said, look, guys, I'm a servant. But then he took things a step further when he filled the basin with water, got on his hands and knees and took the filthy feet of those at the table and began washing them. This is significant because his actions reinforced his appearance. We can have the appearance of humility or the appearance of servanthood or the appearance of love, but looking the part is not the same as living the part. So I have to ask us today, do our actions align themselves with our words? And not only did Jesus look like a servant and do something only a servant would do, but he didn't even say anything in the process. He silently washed their feet. And Jesus did a lot of crazy things during his three and a half years of ministry on earth. I'm sure his disciples thought some of them were crazy or weird, like spitting, making mud, and then putting them on people's eyes. Who knows? But John is very clear in how he describes the scene in chapter 13 in such a way that Jesus had begun washing his disciples' feet, and he did it in silence. The only speaking he did was when Peter spoke up in protest. And even then, he just kindly shut him up and went back to silently washing his friend's feet. I'm sure many of us are willing to lead or even preach people to Jesus. But how many of us are willing to silently love people to Jesus? Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, but somehow along the way we have felt the need, because this is what we're doing, to talk more and listen less. Even worse, I feel like we as the church have decided to talk more and love less. 
because I see a lot of loud people today. There's a lot of loud people on social media, online, behind their computers or their phones. They have a lot to say. They're quite loud with how they feel about politics or the coronavirus or racial tensions and everything else. But those people are actually loving others very little. Because we're so eager to preach and we're so eager to prove ourselves right or to prove others wrong. We're so eager to shut other people up on those platforms. No, 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 no. I'm right. This is what I believe. Here's my opinion. Listen to me. But yet when we look at what Jesus did in John 13, we see one of the most profound examples of love. And Jesus did not even say a word. He just did it. He just served. He just loved. In biblical times, feet were often quite filthy. And I don't mean just dusty or dirty, but they were literally filthy. You know, people walked around barefoot or they had the sandals with the open toes. They walked on roads behind animals and other livestock. And the last thing you wanted to do was walk directly behind said animals or livestock on the road. Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? They were filthy and Jesus washed these filthy feet. So not only did he look like a servant or do something only a servant would do in silence, but he was willing to filthy himself to love those men at the table. He was willing to get filthy and disgusting. Why? Because life is messy. People are messy. We get filthy. Sin is filthy, and we don't have to look very far to see how much of a mess the world is in. And we can come here and we can praise God and we can sing our songs, but I have to ask this of myself, and I've been asking it a lot, and I have to ask us, as a church, are we Christian enough, are we loving enough that we're willing to get dirty and lay aside our fancy clothes, take on the look of a servant, do the act of a servant, and silently love people in their mess? Because we're often quick to point out people's shortcomings and failures. That's not how he operates. Are people too dirty for us to love? Or if I take this a step further, are they too disagreeable for us to love? Do they oppose my views on what's happening in the world today? Therefore, I don't choose to love them. Instead, I'm going to loudly talk about how wrong they are when really Jesus wants us to shut up and just love them. Love those who agree with you is not found in this book. It's just not, church. But this is how we're operating. You agree, therefore I love you. You don't oppose what I say, so I'm going to be nice to you. That's not love, and that's not the Jesus we see in this passage. We know the fruit, the evidence of God's spirit is love. And then the others, Galatians 5, 22 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says we're supposed to do everything in love. And we love 1 John 4 because he loved us first. Yet whoever claims to love but hates someone else is a liar. We're liars when we say we love but fail to love people. That's what God says in his word. Don't get mad at me. And he also says, if we don't love our brother and sister whom we have seen, there's no way we can love God who we have not seen. 
You know, a few moments ago, reading this passage, I talked about Peter's protest to Jesus' actions. He was kind of indignant. If you don't know who Peter is, if you've never heard about him, that's okay. I'll give you a quick synopsis. The dude was stubborn. He was a hothead. He had a temper. He was a mess. That's okay. We're all a mess. But he protested in this instance. He was like, Master, you want to wash my feet? I tried to come at this with humor, and I'm thinking maybe he was like Bon Quiqui, security. This man trying to wash my feet. But Jesus, in his grace and his compassion, he replied, you don't understand now, but you will. So he's a follower. Jesus is leading him, right? But Peter's arguing with him. Even after all these years, he's still arguing. He's witnessed all these miracles and seen all these things. And this leads me to my first point for today, and that's this. Love the ones you lead. Love the ones you lead, church. Now, you may hear that and think, I am not a leader, or I'm not leading anyone, but I promise you, if you are a living, breathing human being, you are a leader, because you are a person of influence. And if you think that you aren't a person of influence, you're wrong. Every single one of us is influencing someone in some capacity. Now, we get to decide whether we're influencing them for good or for bad, Like, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you can influence your kids in a positive way. You can influence your family in a positive way or in a negative way, especially when it comes to the world today. Are you cursing what's happening or cursing other people? Or are you blessing what's happening? Are you blessing other people? Or if you're an employee, are you influencing those that are around you to be honest and trustworthy in their jobs? Or are you cheating on your time card? We're all influencers, therefore we're all leaders. And if you call yourself Christian, then you're definitely a leader because being Christian means leading people to Christ. We're commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission to go and make disciples and baptize them. And you can't make disciples or baptize people if you aren't leading. So I promise you, if you're hearing the sound of my voice today, you are a leader in some capacity. So in consideration of that, And what we read in this passage, when it comes to being an imitator of Christ, I charge you again, love the ones you lead. In verse 1, it says that having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. Jesus deeply and affectionately loved his disciples. He chose them, called them by name. They were his closest friends, his confidants. He loved cherished. He loved his family, his hometown, even complete strangers he met. He loved prostitutes, liars, cheaters. He loved sinners. He loved people that loved him back, and he still even loved the people that crucified him. Jesus loved, but how did he love them? There's tons of acts of love that we see in his life and in his ministry leading up to his ultimate act of love at Calvary, But let's look at some context here because this is Jesus' last night with his friends. It's their last night together, their last bro hangout, their last meal. And the last thing he wanted to leave them with was a silent act of love. That's profound, isn't it? taking off his robe, putting on a towel, getting on his hands and knees, and without saying a word, washing the filthy feet of his friends. 
This is the act of a servant, and it's the way that Jesus wants us to love people. And it's not that Jesus wants us to literally go and wash people's feet, but it's that he's wanting us to be willing to love people silently, love people fervently. This servant act of love is what we're supposed to replicate in our own lives, and that's why he said, do you understand what I've done? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. Jesus says they call him teacher and master. But as he's speaking, he switches those words around. And he says, I am master and teacher. And this is important because Jesus wanted to draw attention to his position as master. He wanted to draw attention to his position as the authority. Because never in a million years would the master of anything No master of the house, no king of any country, no emperor would ever take off their fancy clothes, put on a robe or a towel, and get on their hands and knees and wash the filth and the muck from people's feet. It never would have happened. And this is why Peter was just so shocked at this, because it didn't make any sense. Why would the master of anything take on the role of a servant? That's why this is significant, Jesus was God, and God got on his knees and dirtied himself to love the ones he was leading. And he said, what I've done, you do. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. Act like it. We call ourselves Christians, but do we act like it? We say we believe God, but do we act like it? We talk about how we are obedient to God and his word, but do we act like it? Now, I want to ask you today, when is the last time you felt loved? I'm hoping that if you're married or in a relationship with a significant other, that it was recently, maybe not. Maybe that relationship is unhealthy. That's real. I asked some friends this question a few days ago. I asked myself this question. I actually needed to pause and think, okay, when was the last time I felt loved by somebody that wasn't my wife? On the one hand, it's not something I think about, but on the other hand, I thought it's kind of sad that it's taking me this long to think about the last time I felt loved by someone. And I'm not saying that if that's how it is for me, that that's how it is for you. But if we're really living out this life of the believer, if we're really Christians, everything we say should show people that they are loved. Everything that we do should show people that they are loved. And if people are not feeling loved, if they're not the recipients of love when they are with us or around us, we have not done what Jesus charged us with doing. 
And it's not like we have to be vocal about it. We can be, but sometimes you just need to love them silently in whatever capacity that means. But we need to love the ones we lead, church. We love the ones who agree with us and the ones who don't. We love the ones who have our back and the ones who don't. We love the ones who stand with us and we love the ones who oppose us because position doesn't matter, politics don't matter, opinions don't matter, what's happening in the world does not matter. We just need to love people. We just need to love people. It's a mess out there, church. People are in a mess. People are hurting. There's a whole lot of disagreement, but can we lay aside our pride for just a moment and imitate the master by shutting our mouths and getting on our hands and knees and washing people's feet? Can we shut up and love people? Is anyone here familiar with the term cancel culture? Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. I just found out about this recently. And after looking into it and hearing about it, this, I feel like, perfectly describes my biggest frustration in being a person today and in being a pastor. And according to dictionary.com, cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for or canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. Group shaming. Group shaming, church. Those two words should disgust you. Like it's not bad enough that someone does something that they probably regret and already feel shame, yet for some reason society feels like the next best course of action is to rally against them and group shame them on the internet. I hope you're not participating in that church. Group shaming doesn't exist in this book. I've heard Pastor John say it before, and I'm sure he'll say it again. The world may say shame on you, but we and Jesus say shame off of you. And I see this in marriages all the time because people cite irreconcilable differences as a reason to get divorced. That to me is so sad because it's 100% contradictory to the redemptive and restorative nature of Jesus. To deem someone or something as irreconcilable is to imply that they are beyond saving, and it implies that Jesus is powerless to save that marriage or that someone. So do we really believe that Jesus lacks that power? Do we really believe that Jesus can no longer save or restore or redeem or heal? Because that's the evidence of what I am seeing. And it's not just happening in the world, it's happening in the church too. And can I tell you today, cancel culture is cancer to the work of God and to the advancement of his kingdom. It is cancer, church. And it is a shameful contradiction to the price Jesus paid for every single human being. He paid the price. Boycott this, cancel that. We need to be known what we're for and not for what we're against. 
And we're awfully loud when it comes to what we're against, but we're awfully silent when it comes to how we love. And that is backwards, church. We need to shut up and love people. God's quick to forgive and slow to get angry, but we are the opposite. We're slow to forgive and quick to get angry. If someone disagrees with us or opposes us or wrongs us, we're quick to cancel them out of our lives. We are. I see it here in the church. Not the church. I've seen it in this church. And it, it's sad because years of relationship, decades even, of going through thick and thin, and then just one bad conversation, one disagreement, friendships are over, could be over an opinion or an online squabble. And can I just say, church, this grieves the heart of God. Is God not still a God of reconciliation? Is he not still a God that can save and redeem and heal? He is, right? So then why are we so quick to cancel people out of our lives? Jesus didn't die so we would cancel anything. Jesus died so he could make what was broken whole. Jesus died so he could make what was sick healthy. And he died so he could redeem that which was lost. Nothing and no one is beyond saving. And it's time for us, the church, to start acting like we believe what's in this scripture. We need to set aside our differences, stop building walls, and start building bridges. We need to love people, church. Plain and simple. It's okay to disagree it's okay to have differing views. But if you're louder about your position than you are about how you love someone, you're doing it wrong. We need to love the ones we lead. Love the ones you lead. And second, you have to love the ones you lose. Love the ones you lose. This particular part of the passage in, this, in, in studying this has been what was been most impactful because it's not just what, but who Jesus is washing. I'm thinking about the men seeing it around him and he's washing John's feet. Okay, that makes sense, right? He's John the beloved. That, sure, okay, that makes sense. Peter, yeah. You know, the one, he's a rock, church is built on, I get it. He's, you know, hot-headed and ignorant, has a temper, but... Who doesn't? That makes sense. Okay, fine. Nathaniel, sure, that makes sense too because, you know, Jesus said he was an honest man, a true son of Israel. I'm thinking through the disciples. I get to Judas. What? This doesn't make sense to me. Judas was at the table this night. This is the last supper. This is Jesus' last night with his friends before Judas would betray him, an accomplice to murder the most brutal injustice in history when a sinless and innocent Jesus is beaten, bloodied, and killed for sins he didn't commit. And it blows my mind because Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas was going to betray him. He knew from the beginning he was going to lie to him. Yet Jesus chose to love anyway. Jesus, Jesus still gave Judas everything that he had. Jesus didn't withhold anything from Judas. Judas still bore witness to every miracle. 
He still heard every sermon. He was still a recipient of every act of love, including this one. Jesus still loved and Jesus still served Judas. And this wasn't just filthy feet, but what about a filthy heart? He knew what was going to happen, and he got on his hands and knees, and he washed the feet of his betrayer, the one that would hurt him the most. He loved and served Judas to the very end. And why this has been so difficult for me personally is because we have all lost someone. And I'm not talking about death, but we've all been hurt. We've all been abandoned. We've all felt betrayed. We've all been lied to and taken advantage of. And what is our typical response to that? We rebuke. We shame. And we cancel those people out of our lives. We take our pain. We take our offense. And we move on without them. But can I remind you today, church, that we're supposed to love the ones that hurt us. We're supposed to love the ones we lose. Preaching on a mountaintop earlier in his ministry, Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 32, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Jesus knew Judas was someone that he was going to lose. And he knew loving him would be painful. He knew it was going to break his heart in unimaginable ways, yet he continued to love Judas until the very end. And he loved Judas just like he loved every single one of his disciples. He didn't treat him differently. He loved him. He served him. He washed his feet. Why? I mean, I get that he's God, but why? Why, church? Why do you think Jesus would love Judas so much? knowing he was going to betray him and turn him over to be crucified. Why? It was because Judas was valuable. Jesus loved Judas because he was valuable to himself and he was valuable to God. Jesus loved Judas because he was still worth dying for. He wasn't too dirty he wasn't too filthy for Jesus. He was still worthy of the same redemption, the same restoration, and the same reconciliation as every other human being. Jesus still loved 
Judas because he was worthy of the love of Christ. And that says something because when we're hurt or betrayed, we are quick to get angry and slow to forgive. We're quick to eliminate relationships and cancel friendships or marriages. And we dismiss whatever investment was made and move on. But that's not what Jesus did here. He still washed the feet of Judas. He still loved Judas. He still served Judas. We have to love the ones we lose, church. We have to love the ones that hurt us. Sir, I know she lied. I know she hurt you. Ma'am, I know he broke your heart. God sees your pain, but you have to forgive them and you have to love them because they matter to God. I know that they abandoned you when you needed them most, but you need to forgive them and love them because they matter to God. I know they broke your heart, but you have to forgive and love because Jesus still calls them worthy. I'm not here to dismiss anyone's pain today. Pain is real. It's real. Abandonment, betrayal, those aren't things you get over quickly. Those are real, but just as real as the feelings attached to those acts is the price that Jesus paid for the people that did those things to us. And we gotta forgive them. We gotta forgive them, church. And we gotta love them. No one is beyond saving and no relationship is beyond healing. And if this gospel that we sing about and read this Jesus is as real to us as we say we have to believe that restoration redemption reconciliation is possible we don't cancel relationships we work to redeem them and we don't cancel people we love them love the ones you lead love the ones you lose just want to tell you today that if there is someone in your life that you need to forgive if there's someone you need to reconcile with know that God sees your pain but he wants to bring healing to your heart today God wants to restore and reconcile that relationship.
Forgive them. Forgive them. And do your best to love them. And if you're here this morning or you're listening online and you feel like you're too messy or too dirty or too filthy for Jesus, you're not. He loved his betrayer. I promise he loves you too. I just want to ask you this morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to, could you just slip your hand up in the air right where you're at? No one's looking around. Thank you, I see that. Anybody else? I just want to pray a simple prayer. I'm just going to ask everybody just to repeat this after me. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you're a God of love. I believe that you died for my mess and my sin. I believe that you're alive again. Come into my life. Make me whole. In Jesus' name.